from WBOY Fort Wayne. From WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne, this is the I Am Immigrant, and I am Ahmed Abdelmajid. I am a Palestinian immigrant who has been donning the title of immigrant for the past 24 years of my life. I am interested in conversations around the immigrant experience, conversation that we seem to be not having or we seem to be not knowing how to have. For this podcast series, I'm hoping that we have conversations with different immigrants about all that it entails to be an immigrant. Today, we are excited to be hosting someone who I've gotten to know over the past few years, um, very bright and interesting uh, young lady by the name of Barbara, although I think Barbara is not probably the proper pronunciation. It's pretty close. Okay. Is it Barbara? <laughs> Barbara, yes. Barbara? Barbara. So you cut the second half a little short. Barbara. Yeah. Yes. Barbara, thank you for being here and welcome to The Iron Immigrant. Thank you for having me. We are excited to have you and to chat with you about your experience as an immigrant in the United States. Uh, but we like to start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and your journey to the United States. So I'm from Brazil. I am from Sao Paulo State, but I grew up in a very small city called Itapira. I came to the United States in 2013, mainly because I, it was my dream to go to college in the U.S. through an athletic scholarship. So hmm. I was a tennis player for Indiana Tech. So you got a scholarship to come to the U.S. Yes, I playing got tennis. A, yep, I had an athletic scholarship um, that covered the majority of my tuition and actually made it possible because I could have never afforded like my family could have never afforded for me to study abroad. How did that recruitment happen? You said you're a small town in, in Brazil and Yeah. That's that's a little bit of a long story, but I'm gonna try to summarize it. I was always I've I've been an athlete well, I'm no longer an athlete, but I was an athlete from a very young age. Once so... an athlete is always an athlete. <laughs> but that's what I keep telling my old body. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what I keep telling myself. And then I go out like to play and then I'm like, oh, okay. Like you're not an athlete. You're just, <laughs> this is just a workout. And, but anyway, so I started in gymnastics. So mm -hmm. I was a gymnast since I was three years old until I was 17. And, um, I come from a family of athletes. My mom is a gym, was a gymnast and my dad is a tennis coach. So when I was close to graduating high school, I made the decision that I wanted to go to college in the U.S. But with gymnastics, it was a little bit complicated because we, we didn't know anything about it. Like, mm -hmm. we didn't know how to seek for a scholarship. We didn't know anything. But anyway, my dad worked at a bigger city. And as a tennis coach, he had an opportunity to coach a whole lot of athletes who came to the U.S. in a tennis scholarship. Mm, okay. So he kind of knew how that worked, like who to go for English classes and, you know, kind of those agencies that help you find, you know, communicate with coaches and things mm -hmm. like that. So he, he asked me, do you want to make a switch? Do you want to end your career in gymnastics and... We start from zero in tennis, but at least you would have a chance. Like, mm -hmm. I would coach you 
to where you need to be as long as you're committed. And I made a switch. So at 17. Yeah. Wow, okay. Which is kind of late. Like it's Yeah. It's not late. Like you can start a sport at any age. But it's a year before but yeah. college, right? So I moved to Campinas, which was where is where we live now and is where my dad worked. And I, w- I was very lucky because the the owner of the tennis academy that my dad works for let me practice there and live there. And so that made all the difference. Mm-hmm. So I was practicing full time. And by full time, I mean full time <laughs> <laughs> tennis for about a year. And at the end of that year, I was okay. Like my dad was like... At, we're not we're not shooting for Division One, but you could get a scholarship. So we started reaching out to some colleges. I talked to a few agencies. They put me in contact with like junior colleges, and everything was going great until it wasn't because mm-hmm. I had everything. I had signed my papers with a junior college in California, and my hmm. American visa was denied. So that was a hard time you know i was preparing so, so you myself. had a scholarship from a college in california from a junior college yes and all paperwork is set up but visa was denied visa was denied do you want did they give you a reason why the visa was denied there was a there was a, a minor mistake in one of the documentations that the school sent me the more i think back i think it just wasn't meant to be And and I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but it's a very important point because I think a lot of people think that it's easy to get a visa to the United States. And there you are, a young athlete with a scholarship from a university willing to pay for you and bring you over. And it seems like even a a small technicality or something that the visa was denied. So it's not a rubber stamp as some people think it is. Mm -mm. And, you know, it can happen. I I like to tell this story because before my story, I haven't heard of anybody who had their visa denied twice because my visa was denied again, and then it was approved. It, it's always great to have your paperwork just prepared and know what you're doing, even if, because I didn't speak English at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that if I knew a little bit more of what all of that said. Did they interview you in the yeah. embassy? Because that's another point that people also don't realize is that there is the paperwork and then there is an in-person interview. Yes. As 26 years ago, whatever, when I came on a student visa, I had to go through the same exact process and an interview in person with the embassy staff and all that. Mm -hmm. So, And you can get stressed out from that. (laughs) Since it was like a minor mistake on one document, they said that I could come back and three months but that was like nine years ago i don't know how it is today so i went back but i guess it was too soon although i i they said i could it was too soon so it was denied again so then i took a hard stop in thinking is this really for me because you know there it, there was a lot of pref- preparation going into this mm-hmm. and dedication into and in the beginning i didn't even like tennis <laughs> <laughs> I hated playing tennis, but I, I knew it was for, for something bigger, so I I had to do what I had to do. But then, after the second denial, I started considering going to college in Brazil. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't give up on on the dream, but I just opened up my options. Like mm-hmm. if this, I'm gonna try one more time, maybe in a year, but I'll also study to go to college here because I think it took like two and a half years in this process after high school. So it was time. I mean, that's fascinating. That's a lot of dedication. I mean, two and a half years after high school and you still insisted on coming to the... Where where is that drive coming from? Why did you insist on trying all of that to come here? I was asked this question before Mm -hmm. and I don't know the exact answer. I think the logic side of me thinks it was because I wanted to have a better, I wanted to have better opportunities Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to stop being an athlete to go to college. Okay. So that was my, you know, I could put these two together, study abroad, still be an athlete and and do that. Could you not have been an athlete in, in college in Brazil? Not at the, not at this level. Okay, I see. So it's more for fun, more or less, a little little competitive, but it's not at the level. Yeah. Okay, so the competitive athlete in you wanted Wanted that. to keep going. Okay, and then the academic, I guess you wanted to study in the U.S. I wanted to speak English. Do you not take English in public school over there? or? I did. So I went to private schools until I finished high school, elementary school, middle school, high school, Mm -hmm. private schools are better. I mean, if you can afford them. And when it comes to college, then public schools, some public schools are better. I see. Like I wasn't really interested in, I don't know if it was how it was thought that I wouldn't engage and it was hard for me to understand. So I wasn't a very good English student, but I tried. So like I, I did enough to pass. Like I knew enough, a little bit of grammar. Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew a whole bunch of random things, uh-huh. <laughs> but I couldn't put that together in, in like communicating in English. But yeah, but I mean, th- another part of me thinks that I had this idea of studying abroad because my dad lived abroad for two years mm-hmm. in California. And he played tennis. He didn't go to college, but he went through, like, an English program. Okay. And I remember being little and how passionate he was, like, telling those stories. So I think it was a combination of things that I just couldn't let go of trying one more time. And it worked. (laughs) And it worked. Seven years, eight years in the United States, what have you been doing? And obviously you went to Indiana Tech. Can you tell us a little bit about what what you studied and what you're doing nowadays? And Yeah, so I I went to Indiana Tech. I studied communication for my bachelor's degree. And I had a great time. Like I made incredible friends. Then I worked there. I got a job there at the C3. And the Center for Creative Collaboration, which then was a entrepreneurship center. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for a year. And then that transformed into a graduate assistant position because I went back to school mm-hmm. to get my master's. And then I got, I graduated with my MBA with a marketing concentration right before the pandemic hit last year. Mm. So that was February 1st. I think. Wow. 
Wow, what a what a timing. <laughs> what a time <laughs> to graduate. Yeah. But a lot has happened in your life since then. Uh, as of recent, what, a year ago, you are married? Yes. <laughs> Devon, so Devante and I met in college. Um, he was a track athlete. And we have been, we were dating throughout college. And last year, we got married on October 10th, 2020, mm. which it was, we were going to wait and then wait until everything was better with the pandemic. And then my family could come. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> when, you know, that will be possible. So we were like, you know what? Let's just. Let's just do it. Let's get married in our backyard. We'll just let our friends know. And that we gave like a two-day notice mm-hmm. to his parents, to my parents. And it was nice. So can I ask a little bit about, about that? Devante is from Fort Wayne, I think, is he? Or? He's from Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Okay, so he's from the region. Yeah. U.S. born and raised, uh, American in, in, in all accounts. How did your parents feel about this relationship, this marriage, that he's not Brazilian. Um, is, is that mm-hmm. Did that make any difference to them, or was that a point of discussion? Um, it was not. If anything, it's a point of discussion for us today in planning to have a family and where we're going to be. My parents, like, everybody loves Devante at back home. He has been to Brazil once, and... A friend of mine says that Devante is American, but his soul is Brazilian. <laughs> because <laughs> okay. the the more she says it, the more I, I agree with it. Because he, he just adapted. I mean, he was there for a short period of time. And we, was, we were already dating for three years then. Hmm. But even from the beginning, my parents were very welcoming. Because I think... I mean, I hope that they trusted that I was, you know, that I I wouldn't be in a relationship with anyone that was too far, even from being from a different culture, mm-hmm. but too far different values. Gotcha. Um, from ours, and I think if they would, if Devante would speak Portuguese, uh-huh. <laughs> is the only thing that could, you know, it could be a little bit better. But but they communicate and. They love each other. That's fantastic. That's great to hear. And Devante, I've met him once or twice. He seems a, a pretty chill guy, pretty laid back, uh, into his arts, I think. Yeah, super into his art. And Devante has a, a TED Talk from three years ago, I, I believe, that he was on the TED stage talking about his inspiration and motivation through his track career with Indiana Tech and, and others. So yeah. So I thought you, you'd listen to his talk that year and you're like, ooh, I'm going to marry this guy. Like, you guys know, <laughs> known each other for a while, huh? <laughs> I knew I was going to marry him the day I saw him. Ooh, which okay. is, it's creepy a little <laughs> bit. But, <laughs> but I tell him that there was just something there. I knew we, we, we belonged together. That's fantastic. That's great. That's great to hear. Uh, my wife actually says the same thing about me, but <laughs> see, <laughs> it's my side of the story. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. So now a lot has happened in the last year, and COVID on top of it. How is that sense of homesickness, especially now with COVID, saying you're grounded, you can't, you can't go away? Can you tell us a little bit about maybe your your growth through 
that. Well, I guess we're going to see how how far I can get without like crying. I have always been not homesick, but missing my family and and my friends has always been like in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. Even when I was deep like immersed in into this culture and when I was lear- when I was still learning everything. But the last year, I mean the past year has been absolutely crazy. Like I feel like there are layers of trauma mm-hmm. going on and not being able cuz one thing is when you have you can go home mm-hmm. but you for some reason you choose not to. And another thing is when you want to go home and you cannot mm-hmm. go home or your family cannot come here. And that adds a whole layer of fear and anxiety and especially with a pandemic. Mm-hmm. We can't protect anybody, even <clears throat> if we're close, but at least if we're close, but at least we feel like we could go through this together and it would be better. But there are things that I do that I've learned throughout the years to do that help. So... If I'm at home and I try to create the most Brazilian environment that, that I can. Okay. So listening to Brazilian music or cooking Brazilian food, like things like that help. Um, I talk to my family a lot. Like we talk at least once a day, yeah. which yeah. also helps. Even if it's just like a... Hi. Okay. Hi. I just <laughs> I went to sleep. Or, uh, but at least we see like we see each other's face at least once a day. You FaceTime and or yeah. Zoom or whatever. And I make plans to go <laughs> to go to Brazil, <laughs> and that <laughs> helps too. Like just I don't know. Like now I'm planning to go in December, okay. so I try not to you know get too attached to details, but knowing that I'm gonna be there eventually. So there are things that you can do and help. I go through therapy, and that has been super helpful. Uh, I think for everybody, therapy will be helpful at this point with the pandemic and everything going on. But yeah, my brother is studying in Ohio, in Tiffin, Ohio. So that's big help because (laughs) at least I have someone that's close, and we see each other. We spent last year, we spent most of the year together because he was quarantining with Devante and I. Mm-hmm. So that was great. I try to do everything I can to not be sad. But if I am, it's also fine. I go through that moment and then I do things that, you know, will help me cope and, and keep going. COVID intensified the sense for oh, yeah. you. But- before COVID and hopefully after COVID, I mean, it's not going to last forever. We're, we're going to make it through this pandemic, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in, in the best outcomes possible. But that that sense of homesick just got intensified with COVID because you, you can't escape it or you can't go as you as you will. When Is that what you're saying? I mean, I think what COVID made me realize is that I have control over nothing. Mm. So before, at least I had a sense of control over things. So, you know, like, Barbara, if for any reason things get too hard, you go back. Like, mm-hmm. there was a... There's always there an was always an out. strategy. There was an out. Okay. There was an out. That is not my plan or my goal, but it was there. 
you know, it was like a, a plan Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and now there isn't. But it, it also helped me understand that I don't need to have control. Mm. You know, it's been eight years that I live here. And there were years that were easier than others. But today, I feel like everything that happened this past year was like, what are all of the things that can go wrong? And then everything happened. Mm -hmm. So I am much less fearful. Of losing control. Or of losing control, control. And even like, I know I am going to go home at some point. And it's even weird saying home because here feels like home a little bit too. Mm. And there's also that struggle of like calling this place home and then cheating on your first home, <laughs> uh, which are today's home. But yeah, I this 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 place has become home, and it has made it better. Well, my friends, my community. And you got married, too. and you're starting. Yeah, I mean your your family here, so. You're getting deeper and deeper into this new yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is home, so it helps. I don't know exactly how to explain because I'm still, like, in the thick of of it. In the thick of... Understanding the, Between the two, two worlds, homes. The two yeah. homes. Okay. Because, I mean, especially that you came, not old, but older. I mean... Yeah. So you, you grew up. You had a lot of your maturation in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And then here... When when you first moved to the U.S., then it was to Fort Wayne for Indiana Tech, mm -hmm. right? How was that early transition period? Your 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 accent was probably thicker than things about you that signaled, okay, she's not from around here. <laughs> how was how was that experience? Everything about me spoke she's not from around here. Like the, at least that's how I feel. I didn't speak English. Well, and you did, but you don't really think you spoke hard. well enough. <laughs> no, trust me. I, I lived based on thank you, this, that, no, and that was essentially it. I thought, like, I could read and write, mm -hmm. but I couldn't speak. And I it, I had a really hard time understanding mm. people. So, Were you still doing the translation thing where you hear it in English, you translate to Portuguese? Yes. And then, <laughs> and and then, then <laughs> I mean, Google Translator, the thing is, like, I had my roommate. She's one of my best friends until today. Um, her name is Munya, uh -huh. and she's from Morocco. And I got really lucky because Munya loved Brazil mm. for no reason. Like, it was just something that she would see, like... So when she heard that she was going to have a Brazilian roommate, she like she already <laughs> liked me before she knew me. Nice. So it was super welcoming. And she was she spoke really good English. Okay. So she helped me a lot in communicating. And she and the most important thing, she was super patient because I I really had to keep like Google Translate translator open in our room and if I had anything to say, I would type in Mm -hmm. And she would read it, and then she would say, "No, you meant this, 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 this." So she had that your own private help. tutor. <laughs> oh my god! Like she was an angel. Nice. And we were also teammates, uh -huh. so we were roommates and teammates. We spent all day together. It was awesome. So my first semester, it was hard, but it wasn't. Especially in classes, I was okay because I could write and read. So even if I was understanding much in the class, I could read a textbook mm -hmm. and I could still like get through it. 
But my, so I came in January and then I was going to go home for summer in May. But then my coach reached, I was thinking if you would want to stay and work like on campus. Mm -hmm. Because if you go home for another three months, who knows, you know, how your English is going to be when you come back. Um, so I think it would be worth it. And I was like, okay, I'll stay. <laughs> and then I applied for a job at the alumni office. Mm -hmm. And I sent in my resume, who, which I didn't write. Like, my friend wrote it for <laughs> me. And she wrote the email. She wrote, like, they were helping me with everything. Yeah. But then I was called into an interview. Mm. And, You're on your own. <laughs> and it was a random phone call. The director of alumni saw my resume, and then he called me. It was like a Thursday afternoon. I was outside playing like a water balloon flight fight <laughs> with student life, and then he called. He was like, hey, Barbara, can you stop by the office now? I was like, yes, <clears throat> but I'm in a water balloon fight. And then he was like, no, that's okay. It would just be like a second. So I came in with like... A neon pink tank top, and in it was just the more I think about it, I just I just get a little embarrassed. <laughs> but um, we won't, we won't post pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's the spontaneity was what he was like. I'm gonna hire her because <laughs> I don't I don't think in my resume in my broken English I think mm -hmm. none of that spoke. This would be a great candidate for <laughs> to talk to alumni. But, but it sounded like me. that support was meant to help you through that. And, yeah. yeah, and he was incredible. Mm -hmm. Like I always talk about Mike because the the first six months that I had in the U.S. and then everything that came after that job. Because he took the time to, like, I had to make phone calls. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, are you comfortable talking on the phone? I was like, no. He was like, okay, so I'm going to write a script. And we're going to practice together. Nice. And then he would, like, he would help me with, like, pronouncing words and everything. Spelling. And then I made, like, you're going to make, like, a hundred calls. Mm-hmm. So the repetition and even, and I told him, okay, I will say I'll deliver this. The moment they give something back, I won't know what they're saying. And then he was like, and that's okay. You, if you don't understand, you tell them, can you please repeat? And then you keep going. And that summer, my English went from like zero to almost where it is today. That job changed everything. So... You had a supportive, welcoming environment in the academic setting, helped you grow, get your language, and obviously then get your second degree, your MBA. And now you're kind of setting the foundations for family life in, in the U.S., married to Devante, and, and future to look forward to. I want to shift to a little bit of a different topic, which is you're a young woman in the United States who... If I didn't hear your accent, I think you're a black African-American woman in the U.S. You're married to an African-American black gentleman as well. In light of all the social issues that we've had and Black Lives Matter and the black experience in the United States that was always there, but it's a lot more apparent, especially in the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. 
how did that impact you, if any? And did, did, did you at one point think, I'm just going to go home. This is not a place for me. I don't feel welcomed. Or talk to me about that, please. My gut reaction was, I am so angry. I'm going to go out. I'm going to protest. If you don't support this cause, don't talk to me. Don't call me. That was my first, like, my gut reaction. Then, I'll tell you where I am right now. Mm -hmm. So, I am trying to find my place to speak about this. Mm -hmm. Because um, I know the world looks at me as a black woman. Mm Mm-hmm. And I will, uh, that is a hundred percent my place. If I tell you my story, and if you compare that to an American black woman, maybe she might feel like that's not my space, that's not my place to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So I have been hesitant, but trying to be respectful to who I am and to everybody's experience because I am. It's just so hard, like, to check the boxes because I checked so many of them. I'm an immigrant. I'm Latina. Mm -hmm. I am Brazilian. I am black. But I am, well, people perceive me as black, but I am also mixed. I have a white mother and a black dad. People perceive you as as black in their understanding. In in their, their, it's what in, they see. It's what they see. It's and, what they see. And it's it's black in the American sense of yes. blackness and the baggage that comes with it. And, and it's even, it's hard because Brazil is a majority black country. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if it's still the same, I think it's the second country outside of Africa with the largest population of black people. So it it's just, to me, it just always feels like I'm in this gray area, kind of like a limbo place. I have been, myself, I have been doing work, like anti-racist work. Today, I work for an organization and with people that speak about it all the time and teach. And they have been very graceful and generous and understanding in talking about the black experience in the United States. So I guess the summary of it is I try to be respectful to everybody's experience, not to take anyone's space that doesn't belong to me. Not to speak on their behalf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in, in, in the mixed experience, even in, in for Americans, it's already a little bit confusing mm-hmm. because you're you're a black child with uh, maybe a white parent that loves you unconditionally, but that would never live the experience that you have mm-hmm. as a black person. So there's that. Devante and I, we we went to to a protest, and I was devastated for a while. I took a big hit like in my mental health, especially with... George Floyd, because that could have been my dad, that could have been Mm. my brother, that could have been my husband. And I know that people have been having this feeling for a really long time. Mm -hmm. There has been, this is not a new issue, but the feeling was, it was just devastating. And I feel like black people in the pandemic have this extra layer of trauma Mm -hmm. that we're fighting. And it's hard. 
it's not like it hasn't been easy like it's I have been navigating places and thinking about things that I didn't think before which I I am very privileged that only at 27 28 years old mm-hmm. I am having this perspective so because- so growing up in Brazil you didn't know much about the black american experience or or any of that and then coming here not secluded but you're in in a protected environment and and a academic environment that as you mentioned also multicultural and different people from all walks of life you didn't get to see a whole lot of it but you're still a black woman walking the streets of of America. Mm-hmm. So you got some sense of it, but it's coming more and more is what you're saying over the past couple of years more palpable for you or It's I get it. I guess I'm I'm understanding what all of this means. I guess up, up until this point I was just living my life. Mm-hmm. And I know that most of the pl- black people in this country they have this conscious like this consciousness from a very very young age and i was listening to to a podcast and it was maybe like may last year and this person was talking about how she felt like her life prepared her for this moment and i felt the complete opposite like i felt mm. so unprepared for this moment that's I guess that's why I'm so grateful and thankful for the generosity of people that keep, you know, sharing their knowledge with me. Uh, I'm not afraid to say, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know everything about the Black American experience. I don't know about everything about the Black Brazilian experience. Where I grew up, I there wasn't a whole lot of Black people. Like, I didn't grow mm-hmm. up um, in the schools well, I guess in Brazil, black people and um, poverty, mm-hmm. I guess you you would see more black and brown folks in areas that are poor. Okay. Or in the city that I was, it was not a, it was, it was more of a predominantly white. I went to predominantly white schools. Mm-hmm. I was often the mo- the only black person in my class in tennis in gymnastics everywhere it was never something that made me feel lonely because i think my dad was very strategic in how he would teach us about it we were always connected to black culture and music and dance so we've he taught us to feel powerful in our blackness. So that's kind of how my brother and I grew up. And we would always watch most of what we knew about American culture was American black culture through Mm. music and music videos and all of that. But coming here, I was welcomed from the black community, Mm -hmm. uh, like by the, the, the black community. And it was, it was amazing. I'm, I'm super thankful for how they, you know, they just took me in and I felt like I was a part of something. And that that is a, a big, big highlight of my moving abroad experience, mm-hmm. how I was welcomed. And I felt like I belonged to that community. And it was really, really important, especially early on. What you're saying is the, and I, and I appreciate how you framed it and how you phrased it, that 
you you still even though you're you're black and people would see you as black but you can't necessarily connect to the american black experience because you weren't one you didn't grow up here uh and and two even uh the years that you've lived here privileged in, in different ways but it's coming to a head for you now realizing what's going on and so why not just uh why not retreat why not say you know this this is not me you know i'm brazilian i can go home that you know that exit strategy mm-hmm. uh why do you feel that uh you need to learn and 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 speak about it where is that coming from i feel that it is me um i don't think i have the confidence to become a spokesperson of mm-hmm. this of the black experience in the United States because I lived most of my life in Brazil but I'm going to have black kids. Yeah. In thinking how I'm going to raise them and how we're going to talk about this and I don't know how I'm going to help them navigate this world makes me think I need to be informed. I need to be doing this work because it's what i believe in it's mm-hmm. what i worked to align you know my my professional career with anti-racist work and i think that's everybody's job mm-hmm. maybe not to the same extent like you don't have to do that for work and for everything but to some extent i think that's everybody's job for a better world as you're starting your your new family with Devante and you know hope you're saying in the future you guys um we're not putting you or Devante on the spot about kids but <laughs> you know in the future you might want to consider kids and everything yeah. how how are you planning or thinking or are you even planning or thinking about teaching them about your Brazilian culture and, and bridging that side of their background and heritage with their americanness and, and being born and raised in the United States I think about that a lot. I don't think I have a, a set answer. I've thought about if the future is more working remotely friendly, then I guess I would have a lot more flexibility to come and go. Hopefully that that's the same for Devante so come we can go all... to Brazil you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I think we will live here, but I want to go to Brazil as often as we can afford because <laughs> that is a big trip, especially doing it as a family. But that is what I have been thinking. If we could spend, I don't know, if we could spend summers in Brazil, summer here, winter there, but it would still be pretty warm there, I think we would have, you know, they would get to experience both worlds. I know that I want to speak, for example, at home, I want to speak in Portuguese with my children. Mm. And that's, I've been telling Devante, please learn Portuguese because <laughs> this time will come uh-huh. and you would you won't be able to understand this. <laughs> But I think about those things and, you know, what they will be, if they're going to school here, they won't be able to, to you know, keep coming back and forth. I don't know how, how stressful this could be for a child mm-hmm. and confusing to travel that much i think i still have a lot of research to do when like talking to parents that it, what is your advice 
<laughs> um, I'll tell you in 20 years. <laughs> I'm still figuring it out. Does it turn out okay? I don't. I don't think any. There's any one set way. Like you said, you'll have to figure out how the kids are doing. And my situation is, is a lot different. Not having a home, home necessarily with Palestine being occupied and all that. But it's connecting with family in particular. That's that's the biggest help I found. And mm-hmm. there's some somewhat of an. Arabic and a Muslim community here as mm-hmm. well that helps. I don't know. Is there how how big is the Brazilian community, if any, in in our area? I don't think we have one. I mean, if we have one, please reach out. Okay. Because, <laughs> I don't know. But at some point, we had like over two hundred Brazilians at Indiana Tech mm. because there was a government program, uh, like study abroad program, and they were bringing a lot of Brazilians. So for about three years. I had a a big Brazilian community, and then everybody went back. Most of my friends in college that came from other countries went back to their countries. So now I don't know. I know what we do, uh, what Devante and I did last weekend, which is when we go to Dayton to visit mm-hmm. his family, we drive to Columbus because they have a Brazilian market there. Oh. And everybody that works there is Brazilian. So at least I get like a tiny <laughs> a bit. <touch> like <laughs> I, I can't even, Devante didn't even understand like the excitement. <laughs> You're buying all the food and yeah. people are talking to me in Portuguese. And it's like small, but it makes such a difference. When When the first halal store opened in Fort Wayne, and and then you know later on it became Yemeni owners and things and now there's a couple. My wife she's like I just needed one or two things. Why are you coming <laughs> back with bags? I'm like it's just I want to I want to make sure they succeed. <laughs> and then I end up you know spending an hour at the store and I'm just buying all kinds of stuff and probably some of it is still sitting on my shelf from six or seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. But but it gives you that sense of yes you know I yeah I have that little piece of dessert that that. My wife just cannot get past the texture of it, but I like it. Not yeah. that I love it, but I buy the tub of it and it's sitting there. Just, yeah, <laughs> it's it so is something. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's something. And even like, even your personality, Devontae says this, like, he was like, your personality changes a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of it. A actually. lot of it. Yeah. We but... were, we were uh, walking in Boston years ago. Because we lived in Maine, we used to go to Boston for the weekends and whatever. I think it was just, it's just me and my wife and our and our first child at that time. And we're walking by, and just a limo driver or cab driver, I can't remember. He's at the side of the road, and somehow we started speaking Arabic to each other. And you know, five ten minutes later, he's <laughs> inviting us to his house, and we're like, yeah, we gotta go. She's, she looks at me, and she's like. What the heck? You just met him five minutes ago. And he's already inviting you for dinner. I was like, you just, just roll with it. <laughs> you won't understand. Just roll with it. <laughs> yes. I met somebody at Macy's once. I wasn't, it was Black Friday. I mean, when we all could walk freely in spaces. But um, it was like two years ago. I was talking to my mom on FaceTime. I'm like, oh, I want to get these boots. And then someone in Portuguese, someone was like, Brazilian? And then I was like, yeah. And we just got into a conversation. We exchanged phone numbers. She was like, oh my, it's just, I don't know. Like, it's a little bit of a home Mm -hmm. that you find here and there. But I I have a big, I I know I have a big personality change when when I'm in that culture. 
we'd like to just give you the floor at the end and say what would you like to say to our listeners out there? Anything you would like to share with them from anything we've talked about or anything you feel that you'd like to have it out there in the world? Oof. Well, no pressure. it was my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, first, I think what you're doing with the podcast is super important because we're not one thing and telling these stories help us see each other more as a whole. If I can say anything, I would say that the more we try to see each other as not just one thing, the better our relationships are and the more we learn and I think that's what we're here for. The I and Immigrant is a production of WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne and was created and hosted by Ahmed Abdelmajid. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and please leave a review. To learn more about this season's guests, visit theiandimmigrant.com or find us on Facebook and join the conversation. Today's episode was edited by Sydney Wagner. This is co-producer Katie Anderson signing off until next time. Thanks for listening. From WBOI, Fort Wayne.